The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is proudly brought to you by Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Last month, we saw the release of the Callahan Innovation White Paper on the role artificial intelligence can play in leading innovation in New Zealand. One of the contributors who pulled together that paper, in fact, and a leader in creating commercial ventures with artificial intelligence at their heart, is Shavir Mipuri. He formed Goat Ventures in 2015, which co-invests and co-creates companies with big corporates with the goal of growing the next generation of Fortune 500 corporates. Their ethos is that successful entrepreneurs that have exited can pass on that experience as he has from his journey with Wooga, which grew to 300 staff and raised 24 million bucks. He's also personally consulted the CEO of Walmart on artificial intelligence strategy and German Chancellor Angela Merkel on innovation. Shavir joins us now, direct from a flight from LA where he's helping grow goat in America. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Hey, so straight off a 12-hour flight and into the New Zealand time zone, that's a pretty um, massive by-country uh, by workload. It is, but then the ability to watch a movie like Interstellar or Inception, uh, every flight I take basically just to get my mind spinning in many different directions is totally worth it. It's, it's pretty amazing the way that, um, that, that we're able to work across the world like that. Um, to tell me a little bit about like the, the AI environment. What first got you interested in artificial intelligence? I think driverless cars. Specifically, how could a vehicle be embedded uh, with knowledge uh, on anything and everything and learn how to act based on it? And I realized that what Google was doing was kind of interesting where they were developing rules and Google and BMW were doing this developing rules by which the vehicle would drive around parking lots and then suburbs and then cities and then Nvidia and a company called Mobileye which was acquired by Intel for 15 billion came along really using computer vision to extract information uh, machine learning and unsupervised learning methods to uh, process that and train these AI if you will systems all both on site on the vehicle on chip and obviously in the cloud to process decisions in microseconds that humans have taken hundreds of thousands of years to essentially get to um, in, in, in mind and brain. And that led me to sort of think, what other fields could AI really play in, machine learning could really play in? And I never grew up or necessarily pursued technology to uh, get to the bottom of intelligence or artificial intelligence or what have you. But that, in that example, it made me realize that uh, if we can host or embody a system with, with knowledge and allow it to augment humans, uh, we're going to go really forward fast as a society, as a, as, a, as a species and whatnot. 
at that point, I realized there's some really key business problems that this technology can be applied to. And so I very much thank driverless cars for sort of making my mind spin in that sense. Because it, it really is a moment where science fiction is becoming science fact all around us. All of these things that were uh, the kind of stuff that was on, on Star Trek because it was so outlandish uh, are now available in, in our day-to-day lives. Not, not all of the things of Star Trek, obviously, but... I never watch any science fiction with the exception of, again, those two movies I just mentioned. Uh, and I'm just so ingrained in a world of facts, in a world of what's real, in a world of what's, what's backed by science and, and, and whatnot. But this subject, very much um, AI, made me realize that actually it's close. It's very, very close. And that made me embark on realizing that AI is more than just a tool to automate or just commoditize uh, knowledge and whatnot. It's, it's actually something that can really augment humans, uh, take their biases, take their rules-based understanding of the world, and layer it over millions of micro-decisions within, you know, within seconds with very few data points. So this is the part of uh, machine learning we're moving towards past this need of de- a deep learning, needing tons of data points to essentially learning from. We're getting to new methods such as sparse data training methods where we, we, we can train AI systems to learn very quickly off a few examples. So I'm seeing in industries from uh, agriculture, law, retail, et cetera, et cetera, um, AI is going to play a really key role in assisting these people internally who very much rely on their art and knowledge uh, over science. So how did you go about taking that insight that AI was going to uh, had so much to offer other industries than the ones where it was being applied and start to bring that into business? What, what did you go to do to actually be able to apply it? First of all, read a ton of papers, ton of time ton of papers online um, from PhDs on machine learning to actually figure out what's real, what's not, ton of videos. And then I believe what I decided to set out and do was not something that was necessarily out of practice or born out of uh, a blueprint or what have you. It was really simple. We said, now if we could create any knowledge or anything in the world, where would we go? What industry would we attack it with? And, uh, we thought that the industries which they felt were most protected by knowledge, human knowledge, were the ones where you would find the most opportunity for disruption, perhaps even a lot of arrogance that they're never going to be disrupted. The legal sector is one of those sectors, which is why we joint ventured with Minter Ellis and uh, Rod Watts to go into that. Th- that it's, really, it's really as simple as that, as you pick a theme and you say, um, you know, now let's, let's create some significant value using AI and let's give that value back to the consumer. So tell me about setting up Goat Ventures. How did you come to be setting up that company in 2015? It's really simple. I got back to New Zealand. I met um, my business partners, Jonathan Reed and Ray Thompson, and with Jonathan K1W1, uh, Sir Stephen Tyndall's group, who had been investing in startups. We got together and we said, shall we start doing deals? Uh, so we start doing tech deals, um, which we explored doing a few. We did a few. And uh, at some point a year through that journey, we realized that there is a bigger opportunity in play here, being in New Zealand, to pair up with uh, others who are potentially viewed as competitors or uh, too different to us to create significant competitive advantage. Um, when you spend time in Silicon Valley or in Berlin or whatever, you quickly realize that there are some really high caliber startups out there. Their VCs are funding some phenomenal companies. How can we create that here in New Zealand? What is our advantage here? Why, why New Zealand? Should I just pick up and leave right now? Um, the answer is obviously no. There's a lot of untapped talent here, and businesses learn, need to learn how to harness those people um, who are educated and well-experienced. Well 
there's also a very democratized environment in New Zealand around working with corporates. It's unforeseeable that you could walk up to the largest law firm uh, or retail company or what have you in the U.S. and just knock on their door and say, let's put in a million bucks together into something uh, and let's completely disrupt the very business you're in. But it's possible here in New Zealand. So I thank our democratized corporate landscape from sort of, for, for sort of informing why we started Goat Ventures, which is to create really unfair advantage and take a different track to uh, the one that most venture capitalists go through, which is, you know, you invest in six companies and one at very best will come off. Yeah. And, and I guess also in New Zealand, uh, one of the other big problems is getting that first scale. So getting uh, enough customer um, money, revenue, but also data and usage to actually get, get off the ground in a, in a way. And um, partnering with corporate seems to be a very clever way to get the immediate distribution to their existing customer base or their existing networks. Absolutely. So our model is really simple, is we put in capital 50-50 with the corporate partner. Um, it's usually a million plus uh, on each side to really give it some gas. We bring the PhDs, the engineering talent. We, resign, we, we, we bring in that thinking on how to monetize, scale these businesses, how they do their Series A, the governance layer. Uh, business strategy and the corporates bring in their brand, their channel to market. They have customers that they are locked in with for many years uh, and obviously their terabytes of data. Mm, their immediate scale. Correct. And you put that all together and you're looking at basically a startup before it even hits day one that's so juiced up, so valuable uh, to the point that it wasn't far along in our journey. We already had offers for acquisition and we said we haven't even started uh, this business. Um, and, and that's when we realized we had a really good model for creating something that people really uh, see as creating economic value. Yeah, that, that's a cool model. Tell, tell me about that, um, that. So there's a few examples that you've got kind of in the works, but tell me about the example that, that's launched that you did do with Minter Allison that you were mentioning uh, using AI to change up law. It's called McCarthy Finch. McCarth John McCarthy is the founder of AI or is one of the founders of AI. And Finch is taken from Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird. Join those names together like every law firm does and you get McCarthy Finch. And the business is essentially looking to create an AI brain or AI engine, which any firm in the world in the business of law or any person in the world business of law, whether you're a corporate law firm or an in-house legal team at a Fortune 1000 or you are a bank uh, or you're a uh, telco and you're looking, whatever, um, a lot of people are doing legal work out there, and the system is able to essentially uh, do document review, do document creation, do triaging, do case research and whatnot. The very key tasks that a attorney or a lawyer or, or legal representative would do at a business and augment them with essentially a ton of data points. Um, the way we've built the system is modular in the sense that it is not just a document review tool. It's one where we've taken about 16 to 20 microservices, if you will, micro tasks that a lawyer does from part, the, the ability to parse documents and research clauses, the ability to reference certain things in someone's free form natural language question in case law or common law, the ability to prioritize a legal hierarchy of you know contract legislation, uh, case law, common law in that order, um, what an outcome would be. We, we've, we've built all those microservices so any firm in the world in the business of law can essentially pick and pull from it. It's not too different to the model that Google or Amazon or even IBM have pursued with their AI plays, except they've gone very horizontal. We've kept it horizontal, but within the, within the realm of law. So today we're really excited because it's uh, being piloted with customers 
who are uh, the largest law firms in the world, a couple really big F500 businesses, um, which I'd love to talk about, and, and, and obviously um, a couple major um, tech, tech consulting services firms who really see this as a, as a big way to, again, create value and really change the way that sector works. You know, the legal sector is monetized on hourly rates. It's monetized on, and, 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 and the bulk of that work is essentially done by uh, the, the mid to bottom layer at, at firms. So I really believe that um, there was there was huge opportunity there. And what we're seeing now is that's absolutely true. Uh, I also look at people um, in the legal tech space like DocuSign or LegalZoom or LexisNexis, all really key companies, which are the future uh, of law firms. And they essentially need to also be augmented with AI too. So it, it, it's, it's great. It's a horizontal AI strategy. Um, and right now it's piloting with some really fantastic customers. I'm proud of it. And so the AI components of that business to kind of walk through to a, a friend at a barbecue who you haven't seen in a few years who isn't in the, the tech sector, how do you describe what the actual artificial intelligence components are in doing something like that? So let's pick um, passing uh, documents to work out what's in them and what's relevant to your search query. So the first bit there is natural language processing um, and graph databases. If it was a friend at a barbecue, I would say that there was significant technology modeled around maths that is able to extract key information in language um, based on what the person inserting the query is looking for. Except it knows what it's looking for because it's been trained um, thousands and thousands of times before, hundreds of times before. Now, our AI technology is so unique because rather than a lawyer sitting there saying, look for this change of control clause a thousand times and then bang, you'll be able to find it hopefully in the next uh, document you do for this corporate's acquisition or uh, of another business. It's much simpler. It's train the AI system maybe a dozen times at most. Uh, and that is you, that, that's some really key IP I, I, I can't talk about, but, but, but the critical thing there is it's the ability to uh, inference based on other data points. Uh, available, uh, what looks close or similar to it, and make judgments on its own. You put that information now to a lawyer and say, hey, we found a change of control clause here in these millions of documents, and this is a, this is a risk area for you. Okay, bang, you found that information. And we give the humans, the lawyers, if you will, an ability to accept, reject, or modify what the AI has said. One of the biggest problems with AI right now is it's a black box, and explainability is going to be critical. Not only just so it sticks up in court, but so um, we can learn what it's what 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 is the causes and effects and the input snap is the hyperparameters towards its decisions. And so, just to jump in there, what what you're saying there is the really interesting thing, which is in many AI applications, the people who have designed it are not entirely sure how it is that the AI returned that decision to them. Is that correct? It is, except it's clear here yes, why, yes. It's, why, why, why that's the case. And the best part of what I believe McCarthy Finch is doing is, is something called a human in the loop and training, where you can see how the AI got to that place and literally click a button, almost, like, almost in a minority report sort of way, and say, no, I disagree with that, and I'm going to build a new relationship between um, what, what you've said right there and another concept. And, and the practical example for that is you look at AI systems, uh, hypothetically, you know, uh, Donald Trump bans eight countries from the Middle East. And let's say an AI system is uh, adjudicating or processing immigration cases. How are you going to retrain these models to, to learn 
that that new layer has essentially rules have come in. And this is what we've built is the ability to override those, if you will, uh, tr deeply trained models uh, and, and, and bits of information with uh, human expertise and human judgment on things. And if you think about it, the way American Airlines decides to treat a customer versus Air New Zealand decides to treat a customer and how they want their legal AI system interpreting disputes or how a large law firm like DLA or Mentor Ellison may have a view, they're all going to have different views uh, on the on these things. So the human layer and the human in the loop layer, I think, is the most critical part here. Kind of, kind of adds the co the corporate's personality to the uh, the rules. It allows them to embed their IP that they've amassed over decades, or maybe you know, mm. well, over so many years uh, rather um, into it. So, so that kind of so just to kind of follow that idea through. Um, the difference between how AI would operate and, uh, you know, a rules-based system that was just looking for text strings. So most people who search on the computer would be familiar with putting in a number of words and depending on their order, getting or not getting the results they want and finding their files. And things like um, Gmail that people are always using have really advanced people's ability to not have to really understand the exact string of how something was to r retrieve it from their files. But what is it about the AI that makes it different than something that just looks for a string of kind of characters and then returns it and then a person has to set the rules to say yes or no? How does it go from that relationship when the person is supervising or training the AI to them being able to do it independently? Machine learning. Um, so... The ability to train the AI system we have on New Zealand law and employment, three days, everything, three days. So then to go to California or let's say Florida and now train it on property or tax in that state, three days. And because it's been trained before to know what to look for. And machine learning has uh, many different functions and many different models on how that data can be represented. I'm sure uh, those who are research inclined would have heard of deep learning or uh, Bayesian clustering or and, and, and whatnot. They're all these sort of uh, models. Um, but it, there, are, there are generally three or four methods to train AI systems. One is with supervised learning. When you know the data that the AI, well, when you tell the AI system or the, or, or the model rather, this is what you should look for and this is how you should react to this problem. Uh, the data is labeled. Unsupervised learning where it's very explorative. The data you have is not labeled but perhaps like the driverless car example you've noticed that someone has slowed down at a stop sign well it must be because associated with this area i, I have seen the computer the, the computer vision component of it has seen the stop sign and then there are other models there like semi-supervised learning which is sort of a, a halfway house there is uh, reinforcement learning similar to some of the concepts we discussed around human in the loop um, so it's that machine learning uh, bit. It's the ability to, and thanks to cloud computing, deploy a ton of data points, uh, key data points to uh, systems, and uh, um, through maths uh, and computer science, be able to express that information correctly in the future. And it is a fascinating area in that at one point it is just a string of data points. So, you know, uh, a sum of its parts, but the actual result in so many instances is more than the sum of the parts. If you gave those that same string uh, to a non-AI system or that same string of data points to a human, you may not get the same results that we're getting out of AI. And a lot of the research is, and a lot of the research is not a simple one plus one equals two. It's you know one plus one equals something entirely different. 
Correct. And I think there have been some fields where AI has made some ridiculous, or machine learning has made some ridiculous forward-feeding um, uh, predictions um, in image recognition or uh, trend prediction or in stock market you know, picking ridiculous assumptions in pharmaceuticals and drug trials and and whatnot so we have a while to go until we we get this right and it's not going to be as simple as garbage in garbage out you know it's the quality of the data that that seems to be a pretty common excuse it there, there's a lot more sort of development that needs to happen around the, the topic and um, we're seeing um the the way we architect these systems uh totally change so yeah being deep in, in the world there, what are some really exciting applications that that uh, you know that that are maybe closer than we think to rolling out in the world? Precision horticulture, I think, is really good uh, and close. Um, the ability to uh, not waste so much kiwi fruit that essentially you know only two weeks before it's ready to go to stores, you know, if you've overbooked or underbooked production, fertilization, and, and you know what the yield would essentially be. Uh, for kiwi fruit and they use spot counting there it's literally a uh, someone on 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 the field going right i'm going to count up this little post here and and then and look what's around me and take an estimate uh being out by 80 million you know dollars worth of kiwi fruit is a uh, either over and under um is is a big problem and i think that's very close the ability to send uh little bots up and down the uh, uh um what do you call it vines yeah exactly and and, and be able to detect well in advance the size uh, of, um, of of kiwi fruit and when it's ready. I also think that people will be shocked to hear, well, and shouldn't be surprised here considering Autopilot's been going for a while, um, that uh, companies like Joby Aviation would have cracked short distance travel, uh, travel uh, air travel, so 250, if you will, miles and under, um, oh, put it simply, driverless planes or short haul sort of flights, um, I, th- I think that's another one that people are going to be quite surprised is, is, is fast. In LA, they're going to be trialing um, by the by 2020 and then have live by, the, I believe, the 2028 Olympics, um, Uber and Airbus's pop-up um, system, which is essentially a drone that picks you up and with no driver transports you to a different location, flying cars, if you will. So I think that's, that's pretty ahead. And um, yeah, I think those two are, are really exciting for me. Yeah. Working deep in the field as well, um, how do you find the media coverage and the way that the narratives around AI are developing? Because it seems to be pretty much either, you know, driverless planes or Skynet's going to kill us all. And that, that, there doesn't seem to be an awful lot in the middle. There's s- such poor, poor, horrible research um, that's come out from people around this whole Skynet uh, the world's going to end, and 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 machines will replace us and and take our children. You know, whatever. Not not entirely just from um, fringe figures. I mean, your Elon Musk and he's changes and he's yeah, changed yeah, yeah. his view very significantly on it since probably he's had his um, open AI colleagues or whatnot. You know, knock on his door and say, "Hey, what you're talking there is just complete trash." You know, uh, you need to probably do a crash course on how some of these systems work and how far uh, it is and how much of a while we've yet to go uh, in terms of these systems. And uh, the media coverage has been a little bit lousy uh, from the business journals, if you will. You know, the, the, the typically good sort of websites, I read the Harvard articles, have been really poor in explaining how AI would actually assimilate well within a business. Um, it, it makes me feel like the writers hadn't uh, been there or done that before. Um, the best coverage, I think, coming out from, you know, for AI is on uh, 
the very data science focused um, blogs uh, from Kaggle or KD Nuggets uh, or that Google or what or, or whatnot put out as research. That's a very accurate representation of, of where things are at um, with machine learning, with computer vision, with natural language processing and so on and so forth. So um, I go more to the sort of scientific based uh, journals. Um, and uh, I think that the larger media needs to, uh, though the, the, the major sort of media could wake up certainly to the potential that AI can have uh, on big on big businesses, provided they move fast enough to um, to, to adopt it. And as part of that, a part of your work is that education piece, uh, and you've worked with Callahan to do the white paper that you pulled together. Um, what what are the applications, you know, for uh, a country like New Zealand that that has more of a, a, a primary produce um, bent? And you you mentioned the kiwi fruit picking, which is a really cool one, and and also we don't have those huge centers of research excellence like you find in the um in the states or china uh, mm-hmm. particularly which is such an exciting area for all of this research how can a little country like new zealand make sure that they don't miss what feels like feels like to be a massive wave about to break there's two sectors the first one is the uh, there's a few sectors the first one is precision horticulture which i'm very big on uh and well may, maybe i'll draw back my comment on the second one but the I, th- I still think um, New Zealand has a big role to play because of how democratized our corporate landscape is and how fast it is we can uh, work with data and experiments and fail fast and use this environment to do so and take that to the rest of the world. It's no surprise that leaders, and I know this firsthand from Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, etc., are looking to trial their data protection policies, their their, encrypt, their anonymization encryption methods, their their strategies around drones and driverless vehicles, whatnot, here in New Zealand. So we, we, we've definitely got a role to, to play there in terms of contributing to the uh, global story and also creating value on our own. I think the other sector I was going to mention, but perhaps pulled back from, is, is the energy sector uh, and yield management. You look at the impact that electric vehicles will have by 2025 and the ownership rates that we're, we're looking at, and our systems are just not, globally, are not designed at all to be able to... Uh, smooth out, if you will, the, the surge in, in power that, that will be needed. Um, and uh, I think Vector, for example, is a great innovative business uh, in, in, its, in its own right that is able to jump on that trend, take a technology and commercialize that across the world um, for, with, with other partners who would look at the pilot or use case here in New Zealand. Yeah, and we do love, uh, you, you know, part of the New Zealand story is having been, um, you, you know, one of the first cases for FPOS and great, uh, you, you know, ahead of the curve in terms of cashless payments compared to other parts in the world and the like. But kind of the untold thing here is one of the reasons that we're having the um, uh, the the uh, work on the what we we'll call driverless cars, but were actually kind of like the planes down south, right? Uh, is, is that we don't have existing regulation to stop people doing interesting things it's the best part yeah (laughs) it really is the best part you just write the rules yourself uh the conversation with the legal society here for us in this in this joint venture was uh we're here to tell you what we're doing we're here to inform you that uh, ai will be making some legal decisions and will be used in business and commercial practice um and so therefore here are the rules that you're going to have to abide by rather than asking uh for what that should be so we definitely have the ability to, you're right, um, enjoy our landscape uh, for the fact that it doesn't have as much regulation. And I feel the Kiwis are pretty responsible people in the sense that we're not going to uh, abuse that uh, freedom. Can you tell us a little bit about um, about the white paper. So what, what, 
what was the goal of that and uh, how's that been received? I met Chris, was a new, he was a new CTO or just coming as from overseas CTO of Callahan and uh, Jonathan Miller, who was taking up the big data and AI sort of uh, area. And we were chatting uh, in a meeting about some of the stuff we were going to do and the investments we were making uh, in the AI sector. And I just out of nowhere said to Chris, you know, it'd be great. It'd be great if Callahan put out. Well, I asked them, first of all, what are your objectives? And their objectives were to have more businesses engaging with leading technologies and, and so on and so forth, relevance on the world stage and uh, investing in innovation and research and development. And I said, you know, it would be great. It would be great to tell a story in simple terms. What is AI? How does it work? What are some of the common techniques you'd use? What's it roughly going to cost? Is this an opportunity to lead in or should you fast follow and use some existing systems out there targeted at business people? at C-suite, at business people, whatever, where they can practically see uses uh, for this. This way they do pick up the phone and give Callahan a call and look to engage further using their layer of experts uh, and whatnot. And it was as simple as that. So we drafted the paper and it took longer than needed to come out. Actually, we, we started talking, we, we, the first cut of it was done over a year ago. Um, but now it's out and uh, th- there it is. It's, it's clear that AI is not complicated. Um, it clearly well <laughs> no it really isn't I, I assure you um uh, th- th- when it when it starts to please get it uh, engineered to, to deal with it <laughs> but it's also one where um, businesses can take example and realize that it's not a black hole investment i think that's really key is people shouldn't feel like ai is just a black hole investment in terms of your role tell me a little bit about being a vc um and how much of your role is uh working in companies working as a VC to identify what companies you want to be uh, investing in or co-investing with corporates and how much of it is this kind of um, education and advocacy piece? I stay away from education advocacy because I feel like I need to be on the other end of it, constantly learning from experts who are educating uh, and at the forefront. That said, obviously, to collaborate with other businesses and to have them learn, uh, it needs to come from perhaps me uh, at times. And I appreciate that um, that's a role that I should uh, play. And I certainly um, try and play less of because I'm busy doing the other things you mentioned, which is finding companies which could create significant value and solve big problems or creating them ourselves. And I, we don't have a model per se around, okay, uh, 80% of our time is going to be spent on investing companies, 20% is going to be spent on joint ventures or vice versa or whatever. Um, It might sound unfocused, but rather uh, we think very opportunistically. We wake up in the morning and say, what's the best way we could spend our time, capital, resources, et cetera? Literally every day. That's literally how every day starts. And we do that. Um, We go and say, right, well, uh, there's been a bunch of research that we've been doing in the airline industry or a bunch of research we've been doing in the retail industry. Let's go off and pitch a joint venture. Let's go off, pick up the phone, call a CEO friend at one of those businesses and go ahead and and uh, see if they're interested in creating a spin-off business that could be interesting towards this. Um, another startup may come to us and we'd have to scan the market and get really deeply involved in the research. Or it may be a very well-researched uh, business that we tip in capital into. Every day is different. Uh, it's part of the chaos, but there's a, I assure you there's method to the madness. Yep. 
And how's it going setting up in LA? Because one of the beautiful things, as you mentioned the about beach. New Zealand, <laughs> oh, as you mentioned about New Zealand, is that you can just pick up the phone and get uh, the, one of the largest um, and most prestigious law firms on the phone. And how's that going in LA? Has the example of what you've made happen in New Zealand helped you get those appointments, or is is, is it something that people are interested in? We have a couple other joint ventures in the work mm. in the works. Um, another one of them is in uh, the artificial intelligence and retail sector, and we're doing that with a really huge, huge multi-billion dollar uh, group um, who's bringing in a bunch of retailers into that journey, and we're, we're creating the business. In fact, the business has already started in stealth mode. It's just up on Wyndham Street. Um, the LA component is my business partner and I, who's based in New York, thinking what's six months ahead of what's happening right now. So those businesses have their own CTOs, their CEOs, they've got their own AI PhDs, they have their own lawyers or retail experts, whatever, they have that. We're thinking, what's next? And the West Coast of the US, in fact, the United States uh, on the whole, as a powerhouse market is critical for a few reasons. New Zealand's fall short. Uh, talent, um, that's tough now to find and cultivate New Zealand as much as we try, uh, and we've hired a lot here. Uh, additional venture capital. If we want to be the winner that takes all in these various businesses, we have a stake in or majority stake in uh, additional venture capital is very much needed. And most of our relationships are there anyway. So uh, VC isn't going to invest in a company that's more than a 20 mile radius away from their um, uh, office. And the third one, I think, is additional business development support for our, our portfolio companies when they need a relationship with a major data provider, when they need to crack a customer, you know, we're there to shepherd them as board members into, in, into that. So it doesn't mean that we're taking these, we're, we're building in New Zealand and, and just shipping these things off to the United States. All the core R&D and IP and whatnot, we keep over here. And we're very, very big on that for so many reasons. Uh, and it will, I think it will always stay that way. Um, but we have to realize that in order for these things to succeed, it needs the, uh, we need to, just crush it on the global stage. Mm. So covering the West and East Coast of the U.S. is critical to us. Yeah, especially if you're not um, Mandarin first as a company, which is the Wait. other, the you know, the, the one thing we haven't talked much about is the the amount of this research and movement coming out of China. It's it's enormous. And, you know, if we, we, we think about where the engines of innovation are, but they're not, you know, you want to see with the future of... Um, pretty much mobile payments, AI, uh, big data, most of it's coming out of China. I employ, no kidding, two people. Um, one's an intern, the other one works on a, a contract basis. Uh, both Chinese gentlemen uh, and speak Mandarin and Cantonese. To, and they're both in the field of a, a, AI. I actually got one, one out of AUT and one out of University of Auckland. Uh, and said, uh, your job is to just read papers and extract. Well, math is a universal language, uh, but read papers and extract that knowledge and uh, bring it back to our teams and businesses and me and all that sort of stuff. Because it's all published. Well, it's not published in English, and uh, they are still secretive towards their methodologies and, and what have you. So, um, yes, that, that's my way of getting a hold of that market is literally having someone who can understand it. Uh, feed that back into the teams, and it really, really helps. Yep. Ah, that's so cool. Um, the, the questions that we like to ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what's the advice that you give to entrepreneurs who ask you, how can I get started or how can I make the job that, um, th that I'd love to do? 
I think that's a really tough question, and I hate to be indecisive or be one of those. Well, it depends. I don't. I don't. I don't want to, don't want to give that answer, even though that is the genuine answer I, I would prefer. And everyone's welcome to email me and, and say, "Hey, I've got this problem or this opportunity or uh, this pickle I'm in. How do I get started? Or how do I get ca- whatever?" Um, but I think it would just be as simple as action and a bias towards crazy amounts of action and a lot of doing. Um, you learn a lot through doing. You learn a lot through uh, making mistakes. And I know that sounds quite typical, but um, you know, set an idea in your head, build a hypothesis of what's how you're going to approach situations, whether it's a deal or whether it's a um, a hiring or whether it's a, a new opportunity you're trying to pitch or 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 what or a monetization strategy or, or a technical roadblock you've hit. Um, just set a hypothesis of how you think it's going to work and just be action oriented towards trying to achieve that and then revisit it and just go into that hamster wheel um, every day. This very conversation, I've got a hamster wheel going in my head of 100 things I say, I'm thinking to myself, I should, shouldn't say, etc. <laughs> and this is exactly how we work is, is there's a lot of subconscious thinking, uh, but in front, all you just see is action, 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 action. Um, and I find that a lot of entrepreneurs uh, have the answers in their head uh, and some of them are wrong and I can, I can see that, but the only way they're going to learn that is by taking action uh, to do so. So when I said I wanted to uh, do a deal in retail AI, I didn't just wake up and say, uh, okay, well, let me contact the retailer down the road at the Foursquare. I said, I'm going to contact the largest retailer in the world, full stop. Uh, and I'm going to find my way until I get that uh, relationship uh, in place. And so we did. And the same with legal example and the same with this other deal, you know, we're doing. Um, so it's all about just taking action and, uh, and, you know, revisiting it on a micro basis all the time. What do you wish that you had known earlier? Well, that, that would have helped and everything else I know now. <laughs> um, what I wish I actually knew earlier Probably that um, I should have been bolder to make some decisions, uh, and I should have been uh, more not uh, more not more ambitious not more ambitious definitely not that but just bolder with some of the decisions uh, I made and a bigger picture in terms of thinking. Um, I, you know, there are very few people looking to land a spacecraft on the moon. There are very few people who are looking to think audaciously big. And I just realized sometime about six years ago, five years ago, uh, that if you think ridiculously big, um, good things will happen. Because the worst that's, well, actually, the worst that's going to happen is you'll fail, learn from it, and, and uh, you'll, you'll, you'll end up with a middle ground that's still better than everyone else. But so few people are, a- are aiming for extremely ambitious things. And everyone's quarreling over this bell curve in the middle, if you will. So just be very bold in sort of your thinking and, and very, very big and, and very ambitious. There's nothing... You can, you can lose from that. So if you combine that with action orientation, it's, it's, it, the world adds up for itself, you know. Ah, that's yeah. magic. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us. If people want to um, know more and kind of follow the journey, how can they, how can they keep up with you, Shavit? That's a great question as I don't do any social media. I'm happy to give my number out on the phone if it helps. <laughs> uh, but uh, probably the easiest way is uh, I check LinkedIn once a week. So just go ahead and admit, uh, add me on LinkedIn. That's the only, only social media I do. Uh, or um, give me a call on 310-962-7650. It's really not a problem at all. <laughs> That's so cool. Hey, thank you for joining us, Shavir Mapuri from Goat Ventures. Uh, pleasure to chat to you and can't wait to see what's happening next. I enjoyed it and good luck to everyone out there. 
Joyce, thank you very much to Alice Wood-Liddell for producing and thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.